Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. More specifically, trying to help the uber-independent filmmaker build a lifestyle business. We have a sponsor for today's episode, and it comes to you from the new book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It was just announced in the news that Brad Pitt will be making a movie exclusively for Netflix for about $30 million. It's a war satire called War Machine. So what does this mean for Hollywood with this new deal in place with Brad Pitt and Netflix? Well, the New York Daily News commented and proposed this question. The downside, question mark, the multiplex could increasingly become safe only for the big budget blockbusters, remakes, and reboots. And what does this mean for Hollywood? Well, it could potentially create a bubble, just like the dot-com bubble, the real estate bubble. And two years ago, Steven Spielberg was quoted as saying, there's going to be an implosion, mega-budget movies are going to go crashing to the ground, and that's going to change the paradigm. So if the Hollywood implosion does happen, well, how do you survive it? Well, you head on over to survivetheimplosion.com to get the latest book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. Okay, that ding means that that's the end of the sponsorship promotion, which brings us right into today's episode with my guest, Jason Buff, over at Indie Film Academy, over at IndieFilmAcademy.com. I first became aware of Jason when I saw ads on Facebook for the Indie Film Academy. So I clicked on it and checked it out, and then I started following his podcast interview series, and it was on episode number 18 with distribution expert Linda Nelson that I became a fan of this particular podcast. I mean, this particular episode, number 18 with Linda Nelson, was just fantastic. So I recommend everyone getting a chance to check it out over at IndieFilmAcademy.com. Anyhow, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you all to Jason Buff over at the Indie Film Academy. As he and I just talk shop, And I wanted to get a better perspective of what he thought was the state of independent film today after interviewing so many prominent guests on his podcast show. Here he is, Jason Buff on the Film Trooper Podcast. Okay. Um, Well, I started Indie Film Academy a little less than a year ago. And really the, the thing that happened for me was, you know, I've been trying to make films for years and it goes back to... Um, you know, the 90s. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I basically lived in a movie theater and, and, you know, watched movies, you know, constantly at home on VHS tapes and everything. I mean, I think we're probably in similar generations. You know, we used to, I used to put like uh, four movies on one VHS cassette and record (laughs) from, you know, like the NBC nightly movie and like try to cut out the commercials and everything. You had Um, the uh, long play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If anybody remembers the VHA, VHS days, it's like there's an EP or expended play and the long play allowed you to get uh, certain tapes. You were able to get like four, eight movies on. Yeah. But yeah, the yeah. quality was really bad. On and top my dad of it. was like the master of being able to pause it. Right. Like he would he would feel when a commercial was coming. Oh, my God. And he would pause it right at the commercial and then he would get it right perfectly, you know, right when it was coming back. So all these great movies, the first experience I had with. Jaws and The Road Warrior and all these movies that have become my favorites are were the TV edited versions. So there like there was tons of stuff that was also cut out of them. So it was much later. I remember watching Road Warrior a couple of years ago, uh, part two, um, Mad Max 2. Yeah. 
And there was all this stuff in it that I had never seen before. And I was like, wow, it's one of my favorite movies and I've never actually seen the movie. They would dub over the, uh, any cussing or anything. Um, so anyway, fast forward from there. Um, I, um, you know, tried for, for years to make my own um, films. And back in those days, you know, in the 90s, uh, all we had were VHS recorders and the quality was terrible and there was a complete, it was a different world. You know, you would go see a film um, in 35 millimeter at a movie theater and then you would go home and try to do something with a little, you know, VHS camcorder or whatever and it just wasn't anywhere near that, you know, and fast forward to now and it's like you have the ability to basically shoot a feature film in your backyard and it's, for for me, it's just incredible. You know, I was kind of born at the wrong time, I guess. Um, but so in, um, I tried to make a film in 1999 around there. It totally fell apart cause I had no idea what I was doing. I wrote a screenplay and everything. I even had people sending me resumes and stuff. And I was around 27 or something. Um, and I moved out to Los Angeles for a while and tried to work there and worked in post-production in a few places. And, you know, didn't have a whole lot of luck and didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do and worked on a lot of films that became nothing. And the, one of the biggest things that scared me was all these people that were shooting, you know, they had seen like uh, Clerks and they had seen um, El Mariachi and those were the big movies back in those days. And they would go out and spend $30,000, $40,000 making a film and nothing would happen with it, you know? And I was like, okay, maybe that's not a great idea, you know? So I just kind of avoided the indie film route and was going to work in um, you know, try to work at a studio. And then that didn't work out because, you know, I, I wasn't, if you're working at a studio, you're really kind of like a contractor, you know, so you become good at, um, something that's not necessarily the creative aspect. Mostly it's like, you know, just kind of working construction or something. Um, so anyway, years went by and I ended up getting more into post-production and graphics and stuff like that. And eventually got into graphic design and that was going to be, my career and I kind of left the filmmaking world behind for, you know, uh, most of the 2000s and everything. And I continued to write screenplays here and there. Um, but it wasn't until about 2012 when I saw the movie Monsters by Gareth Edwards. Mm -hmm. And it completely blew me away what he was able to do with, uh, I can't remember what the camera was. I think it was a Sony X something. EX1, I believe. I think. EX1, okay, yeah. And he put a Letus um, adapter on it with a 50 millimeter um, 1.2. I mean, I, I obsessively <laughs> learned everything about what, how they shot that. Um, you know, how their sound guy worked, how they, you know, shot everything, how he did all the after effects and everything. And just like obsessively, you know, found everything I could find about Gareth Edwards and how he had created this movie basically with a, a three person crew, two actors, and then just doing all these effects and after effects. Um, so for the next year, I just kind of studied stuff and would go on like video co-pilot and, and tried to be one of these guys who did everything. Um, and I wrote a screenplay and I was going to, I actually, um, for the last 12 years, I've lived in Merida, Yucatan in Mexico. Hmm. Um, so I was going to, and his film supposedly took place in Mexico, even though if you watch Monsters, and you know anything about the geography of Mexico, um, <laughs> it's ridiculous because it shows like a scene where they're standing on some Mayan ruins and looking, or actually they might, they might have been in Costa Rica, but they're looking at the border and there's this giant wall and mountains and it's like the border of Mexico looks nothing. There's no giant wall there like they have in the movie. And um, 
so anyway, I, I, for the first time I started getting this bug back, okay, I want to make a movie now. And now it's becoming more, you know, with all the technology, all the DSLRs that started coming out, um, and things started becoming more, uh, you know, within reach for just normal people that weren't in the film industry. Um, so I put together, I, I started, I came up with a couple of different screenplays and they were all supposed, they were trying to be things that I could shoot down here in Mexico for very cheap. Um, and I came up with this idea for a movie called Subterranea. And basically the idea of the movie was about this woman who found out that she had a family that lived in Mexico and it was kind of a horror story. And um, it all, it's all, also featured creatures that would come out of this cenote. And cenotes are these giant holes they have in the ground here that are like caves, underground caves. Mm -hmm. And we were just gonna shoot that very cheaply. And so I, I started finding people, you know, there's not a whole lot of people in Merida who are, you know, involved with the larger film industry, but there's tons of people here now that are kind of like trying to, to make little independent films and everything. So I started getting people together and putting the story together. And eventually I found a, a guy who was interested in um, investing a bunch of money in it. And, you know, my original idea was to like do it for, I don't know, like 20,000, 30,000 bucks or something like, do something really cheap, handheld, kind of like monsters, you know, it's yeah. kind of the guide. And um, he was like, yeah, we got a, we have an investor in uh, Playa del Carmen who uh, wants to put uh, $500,000 into the movie. And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't even want that much money. It's like, I'm not interested. I mean, of course I'm interested, but it's like, that's ridiculous. So I don't know how that came about, but one of these guys was like putting together the deal and everything. And he, he was like, somehow had the money through some sort of kind of, I don't know. <laughs> twisted I don't know what what the deal was they had also funded another movie that they made down here so I was kind of like wide-eyed I mean I try not to be naive about stuff but I was just like okay well uh I don't the whole time I I kind of thought it was BS you know yeah yeah so yeah it turns out like we started getting things together and eventually the funding fell through and anybody who's worked in filmmaking knows that funding is constantly falling through on things people are constantly changing uh, their minds about projects and things. So that fell through and everybody kind of lost their their energy. And I was just like, I was done. You know, I have a young, uh, my son is seven years old. So at the time he was like going through all the the really difficult parts of childhood. So mm -hmm. that in addition to trying to put together a film was was almost impossible. Um, so that's when the, the real idea, and one of the things that I realized when I was going through all that was I, I just didn't know what I was doing. You know, I know about filmmaking and I know about directing and all the creative aspects of, um, you know, filmmaking, screenwriting and everything, but I didn't know anything about the business of making a film, you know, from raising funds to, um, you know, the production side and also the eventual idea of having to sell a film, um, so I joined um, Film Specific, mm -hmm. and I was trying to, you know, I would ask a lot of questions on the forum there, and I would uh, listen to a lot of podcasts. One of my favorite podcasts was, um, what is it? They're not on anymore. I think they quit in 2012 because, uh, well, I don't know why, but um, I can't remember. It's, it's two, two women, um, but they had a really good podcast where they would just interview people about different aspects of filmmaking from um, from producing to legal standpoints and everything. Uh -huh. And that podcast actually was what inspired me to want to create my own podcast. 
Um, and so I just kind of, in a lot of ways, copied their formula. And I'm not, I don't nearly have as much energy as they do. And I'm always <laughs> trying to, you know, put stuff to entertain people on my podcast to make them feel a little more, you know, not bored by my talking or whatever. But anyway, so, um, yeah, so that all fell through. And I, I just, at the same time, I was going through kind of a crisis, a career crisis and everything. And, you know, I wanted to really go back and start learning how filmmaking works and how it's produced and how, you know, how everything comes together from a non-creative point of view. And so, you know, at the same time, I was reading a lot of people like Pat Flynn and I had just read, um, uh, what is it, The 4-Hour Workweek mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it was like a completely new world. I had never been into marketing or knew anything about marketing or um, creating online uh, web presence or blogging or anything like that. I had done web design, but I hadn't really done anything um, like they kind of teach, you know, like yeah. creating, you know, um, training or anything like that. So, and then uh, the um, the uh, Internet Business Academy thing. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> got, Jeremy and Jason, Internet yeah, Business Jeremy Mastery. Jason, right. Yeah, I, I got into their program, um, which was really very helpful in kind of defining exactly what I wanted to focus on, which was, you know, filmmaking is something that for me I've, I've – it, it's a passion that never really goes away. So I knew that if I started putting together something like um, the um, Indie Film Academy, that five years from now, I'm still going to be just as passionate about it. You know, it might change because what what I really try to do is just share the stuff that I'm learning. You know, mm -hmm. so if I do an interview with somebody, a lot of times that interview will be with the person that knows something about the thing that I want to learn, you know. Yeah. So I haven't done a whole lot of, I've been doing a lot of pre-production, um, you know, how to sell a film, distribution, how to get funding, how to, um, you know, how to sell a screenplay, things like that, just because those are things that I'm interested in. And then I, I the lucky thing is I get to do a podcast where I get to talk to these people and ask them questions about, you know, things that I want to know. And if I want to know, I'm sure there's people out there that are listening that want to know themselves, you know. What is your perspective of independent film now? <laughs> I mean, you've interviewed over, like, you officially have 21 people that's on your podcast that you've interviewed, but you've said you have right. a te another 10 that are hidden somewhere in the lost files. But what is your, perspe <laughs> what is your perspective on the future of independent film, or what do you want to get out of independent film, uh, like the next steps, that kind of thing? Well, you know, there's two sides of it. One is wanting to create... Um, I guess you could say art. I'm, I'm really more into my my real joy has always come from um, the concept of entertaining people, and I think that's the deepest at, at the at the core. I think that's what filmmaking is. If you want to make films, you are interested in you know putting uh, taking people through an experience. So you know, and that can be. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, an artsy, really kind of, you know, bizarre art house movie kind of experience. It could be a Michael Bay experience or it could be a, a Steven Spielberg or George Miller or whoever, you know, it's like it, the, the thing that you want to do as a filmmaker is um, affect people. Now, the way of reaching an audience is changing so quickly. It's ridiculous. I mean, the, the idea of watching movies through the Internet a couple of years ago was just 
Uh, I mean, it was something that was, it was uh, witchcraft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, no. It... Nobody ever thought you would do that. Um, so my idea of independent film is just the, um, it's something that's already pretty much happened. And, and it's not just um, with filmmaking, it's with YouTube and all these. I mean, it's exploded everywhere. I mean, the fact that you look at some of the, my son, when he, watch, he doesn't really care about TV. You know, when I was a kid, TV was everything. You'd come home from school, you'd put on cartoons, and that would be it. My son comes home from school, and if he wants to relax and watch um, something entertaining, he'll watch videos on YouTube. And he loves, like, Minecraft videos mm -hmm. and videos with just, you know, some guy with – right now he's into this Godzilla puppet. I have no idea what it is, but it's just like some guy does these videos, and he thinks it's the funniest thing that's ever been made, you know? Yeah. So I think there's there's kind of that is where everything's going to be in the future is like, um, I don't know, there, there's uh, people like packages, you know, they like to, um, they're going to continue to want to watch films, um, you know, like they watch on Netflix and everything. But, you know, I, I really don't know. I think it's going to be a lot, it's going to be more and more uh, decentralized and I think people who have the energy to create and connect with an audience are going to be able to um, do whatever they want. As long as you, the, the whole point is that you connect with an audience. And it doesn't matter if you're in, you know, uh, what part of the world. You can be in a small town in, in the middle of nowhere. As long as you're connected to the internet and as long as you connect with an audience somehow and you figure out a way to, um, to build that audience and to have them support you, you can do pretty much whatever you want to. Nice. So that's, <laughs> I totally agree. It's like, it's, it, and I think more people are coming to that place. I think you hit the nail on the head with, in terms of the creative, the creative need of like the artists of just, I need to make something and I need to know there's an audience that responds to it. And right. if they respond to it, that's like, that f fuels your, fuels your soul. You know, it's like a comedian. They need to be on stage. They need to hear those laughs. I mean, that, that, that fills their soul to keep going. Like, right. you know, there's no comedian out there that doesn't tell jokes. And if they don't hear anything, that doesn't crush them, you know, like they need that. And so filmmakers need that response or any artist needs that response from an audience. And um, it's interesting you brought up the decentralizing of, you know, being fragmented. Uh, yeah, our, our friend Jason Brubaker mentions that, too. He says that the, the way the future is going, it's going to be so many options it's going to be so, you know, defractured or, you know, fractured in, in a sense of, you know, where people find their entertainment. Um, fascinating. Any other like tips that like, like common takeaways that you've, uh, you observe from your, your interviews that maybe per se, do you see there's a, I'm just curious, do you see there's a, is there a shift between this thinking, this, this, what's happening to us so rapidly right now versus um, maybe some of the old school way, like, like, because there's an old industry still there. Like, there's right. an old way of working still that either it's getting broken apart or there's those who are still, um, you can see, like, if they don't adapt, they're going to die. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I see a little bit of that because I've talked to a lot of people who are in the traditional system. And I've even mentioned, you can actually hear this in some of my interviews, and I won't say who it is, but the, I did an interview with the producer. Um, and they're making movies in the $5 million range. Um, and I started talking a little bit about video on demand and the way things are changing and, and some of the other things. And they they still live in this world of, you know, making these 
you know, having to go sell pre-sell movies and get distribution deals and do all these things that, um, like for example, international sales, you know, mm -hmm. going into, um, the international sales market and selling to, um, you know, doing a separate deal there at like AFM or, um, in Berlin or something like that. And I see a lot of stuff like that completely changing to the point where like, if you're on the internet, the internet is international. You don't have to deal with foreign sales and things like that. I mean, and people have figured out ways to watch. I mean, if you're in, I mean, everybody like Netflix has Netflix US and Netflix Mexico and Netflix, all these other places, but it takes about two seconds how to figure out how to watch Netflix in the US from here. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that a lot of the people that work in the current industry, it's going to continue the way it is, but it's going to evolve. Like right now, um, we don't have TV down here. We have um, the, um, the uh, what do you call it? The Apple TV. Mm -hmm. And we're able to watch a lot of TV shows just through the Apple TV. So all the TV shows that, um, you know, Showtime and, and stuff like that, we're able to watch um, – on their internet version. And you can watch that like on demand or whatever, but we don't have just regular normal playing television, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so I see a lot of stuff changing like that, you know, that pretty soon everybody, everything's going to be internet based. Everything's going to be, there'll be live TV options, but there's also going to be, you know, um, more and more options just to watch. I mean, I guess the problem is going to be, there's going to be way too much, um, variety. So there has to be some way to, um, th there might at some point be like a gatekeeper of uh, like iTunes and Apple, I mean, Ap Amazon and Netflix. And those guys are, you know, if those are the go-to places, then they're going to be kind of the filter, you know, of, uh, it might be harder and harder to get onto those platforms. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like right. you're going to have an oversaturation of people creating content. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of lost my point there. <laughs> Sorry about no, that. No, no, it, it, is, it is interesting. It's the, because um, you got to the heart of it, which is like, as an artist, you need an audience. You need, right. uh, to, you need to share your work and get response. I mean, that, that, that is at the core of it. Um, with understanding well, one thing that I the one thing that that I think that a lot of people are that stresses people out is the concept of making money off of a film, um, and so like for example we we we've both been kind of um, uh, you interviewed uh, Scott Kirkpatrick recently mm -hmm. and I just read his book which kind of blew me away and it's um, writing um, for the green light which is talking about how to write for these smaller studios you know like um, the Asylum or, or the one that he works at. Um, Mar Vista, yeah. Mar Vista and places like that so that you can, um, you're not trying to write for the larger studios, you're writing for smaller um, production companies that sell to like Sci-Fi Channel and do direct-to-video kind of things. And, and um, you know, one of the things that he talks about is just writing certain kinds of genres that they'll buy. You know, the, there's a side of it that's like, okay, well, I wanna, I wanna be able to sell my movie. You know, I want to be able to make money. And so a lot of those people might want to go with a more like go to lar companies that are already established, that already have deals, that are already doing things, you know, or, or go to other production companies and say, hey, um, help me put together this project. You know, it's not it's not so easy if you're in the middle of nowhere just to put together a movie. You know, you need to have people that are going to work on it. So on the one hand, you can create smaller movies, indie movies and whatever with 
you know, people that you're friends with and maybe a couple of people that kind of know what they're doing. Um, but at some point, if you want to really make movies, you're going to need to have, you know, professional people working on it and people that, you know, like a pro DP, you need to have your, you know, gaffer, you need to have all these people working together. Um, so you need to have more of like a business, uh, 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 formal production company put together, you know? Mm -hmm. And so working with those companies that it's, it's a good way to, I think kind of get into the game. It's the same way that like people like James Cameron and, and, um, uh, who else? <laughs> All these other people used to work with, um, Roger, Roger Corman, yeah. you know? Uh, and I'm a huge fan of Roger Corman too, that, and he's still making movies. I, I actually interviewed him the other day too. Oh, cool. <laughs> it was a very, very awkward interview. Cause I spent about a week getting prepared for it. And he's like, okay, I got about 15 minutes. Let's go. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh yeah. It's like, uh, it's like my, my hour and a half one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but just that kind of model of, of, you know, learning your skill, learning how to, uh, you know, um, learning, whatever part of the film process you want to be, you know, whether you want to be a, a gaffer, whether you want to be a DP or whatever, it's also important to work on professional crews. So that's maybe one of the downsides of not being near Los Angeles, even though there's professional people everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. but you want to try and get on film crews. You want to, you know, develop your craft. Filmmaking is very difficult. So, I mean, there's thousands of films that are being made constantly that are fairly low quality. I mean, I get, links to films almost daily and I watch them and it's kind of like, it's, it's nice for a first film. I hope they didn't put a lot of money into it because it's probably not going to, you know, I doubt anybody's going to pay to see it, but it's good for maybe a calling card or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you what, what have you seen as the common thread for a lot of the filmmakers that follow you or like ask you questions or uh, like pain points of uh, the Uber independent filmmaker in general? I think a lot of people really love the idea of making a film and they rush into it and they write a screenplay and they get a bunch of people together and they shoot it and it doesn't really turn out the way that they had envisioned it. Um, and, you know, on the one side, that's, it's really difficult to look at a film that you've created and, you know, for it not to come out really well. <laughs> on the other hand, looking back on, you know, I'm 41 years old, I kind of wish that I had made mistakes like that when I was, you know, I had a few, t a few moments when I was like all set to go making a film and then I just pumped the brakes. I was like, okay, I, I'm not ready for this. And I kind of wish that I had just gone ahead and done it because it's through those mistakes that you really learn. You know, when I was making, uh, when I was working on this Subterranea uh, film, um, I shot a couple of scenes just for practice, just for fun. And even just shooting that, those, the scenes that I shot, I learned so much just by being in charge, having my um, first AD there, dealing with the actors, dealing with the background, all the lighting, how we had to move the, the scene along, you know. And as much as, you know, a lot of these, these directors watch movies over and over and over again, you can watch movies, you can watch every movie there is, you know, and, and you can say, oh, I know you know, such and such movie from 1937 and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. You know, the main thing that you need to do is get out there and start shooting stuff, make shorts, do whatever, you know, grab. Now it's easier than ever just to grab a camera and, uh, 
to get out with your friends and just start shooting stuff. And it doesn't have to be any good, but just, just the, the concept of shooting a scene, editing it together and looking at it and saying, okay, well, did this come out the way I think it should, you know, does it affect me? Is it working? You know, and a lot of people are doing that. A lot of these 20 something, you know, jerks that get to you know, play with this equipment now that like now I wish, you know, I had had when I was their age, but you know, it, it's so easy now just to go out and shoot stuff. Um, and I mean, you, you, in theory, you could go out and shoot a, a, a great feature film with, you know, a little, even like an iPhone or whatever. You want to make sure that the dialogue, the, the audio is like the main thing. Just like Tangerine, the film, they got all the buzz at Sundance this past year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the, the thing they never mentioned with that is they always say they shot it with, uh, what was it, an iPhone 6? Yeah. Uh, but they never, the, the big thing is also you have to really be concerned with uh, sound. Yeah, they had you know, a so a lot of people yeah. will go out and they'll shoot a movie and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, we'll just hire, get a friend of mine to like put a mic in there or whatever. You know, the main thing when you're shooting an independent film is to be ultra careful with recording the dialogue on set. So you don't have to go back and re-record it. The fastest, I mean, you can have, you can shoot with an old camcorder if you want to, but if the sound is bad, that's like immediately people can like, they start feeling uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Like there's just something about it. You can always tell like if there's like a little bit of echo or something in the, the recording. Mm -hmm. um, so I, once again, totally got off the question. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, it was good. <laughs> it was just, fa I'm, I'm just curious, like what you've discovered, like I said, you've, you, you're, you're in two such, two worlds. One, you have uh, fans of Indie Film Academy, you know, followers right. on your email list and people that follow your podcast. So they're obviously, like I said, you're sending their your film, they're asking you questions, they're sharing with you some things, and that's good to know sort of like maybe the commonality amongst a lot of um, you know, aspiring filmmakers or where they're at or what their biggest pain points are, as opposed to the experts that you're interviewing, sort of what advice that you see as a common thread. And then like for yourself, like you said, this is something, a place for you to explore, to ask these questions that you have interest in, and then you know, trying to bridge those two worlds together. Um, well, I think what you do is actually something that most of these filmmakers really need to work on. And that is the concept of how to package themselves and how to get people excited about their project, you know, and, and how to basically marketing, you know, online marketing, finding their audience. Um, because I get tons of people who are just like, hey, like my site or hey, can you check out this <laughs> or whatever? And I'm like, I mean, that that to me is just like nothing turns me off faster than somebody asking me to, you know, like their thing or whatever. I mean, I, I think people should focus on, first of all, creating an amazing um, poster or an amazing cover design that really sucks you in with a concept that you want to watch, whatever it is. Um, they should have a, a trailer that just makes you go crazy and you're just like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see that. And then they, the, the movie also has to be good. You know, it has to pull you in from the first moment you have to say, oh, okay, it has to, to present some sort of like question that you want answered. You know, you want to watch the first minute, two minutes, three minutes and be sucked into the story and be like, okay, I want to find out what comes next. And just like, that's what the best movies do. And to have good production value, to be shot well, to have good acting, to have, you know, a lot of these things that everybody considers the you know, kind of a given or, or the basics of filmmaking, but so many films just have bad acting and they have stories that are 
um, very derivative of other, you know, films like these uh, found footage films or they have, you know, everybody's shooting horror or they're shooting whatever, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, do something that it, that that's original and that's your own voice and, you know, not something that's like off the wall original. But, you know, one of the, the interviews that I did with um, Brian Yudovich, one of my favorite things that he said, and it's actually been something that I've heard from other people, is the the... 80 20 rule and it's not the 80 20 rule from um marketing but <laughs> marketing it's the idea of create something that's 80 percent uh you know familiar and 20 percent completely new you know you want to present people with a movie that's not that they kind of know what it is like a genre that they understand you know whether it's uh sci-fi whether it's western drama comedy mm-hmm. um Create something that's in kind of a, a structure that they understand, but something that's original. That's something that that you know makes them want to go see it. And you know, if you if you can honestly look at your screenplay and look at your film and say, this is something that I know people will just be dying to see, and it'll it'll like inspire people and be funny and whatever, then you have a project. But I think too many people love the idea of, and you know, I'm guilty of this as well. I love the idea of being a filmmaker and being a writer and being a director. And so when you're writing and you're creating stuff, there's some sort of uh, part of your brain that's like, uh, what's the, I guess you, you kind of, you're like, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a director. You know, you tell yourself that, but you don't. And, and if you get criticism from somebody, you start to kind of like say, oh, well, they don't, they don't get my vision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, you kind of um, you don't discipline yourself to get better as a screenwriter and to get better as a director. And you need to have people um, you need to have failures and you need to, to listen to people that kind of criticize your your writing and criticize your films and to be able to to kind of like go through that process of getting better because you're not just going to instantly be a good director, instantly be a good writer. It takes years of practicing and getting better. So I think that's that's just what a lot of these people that are, you know, that I see uh, movies from, they're just they just haven't quite evolved as filmmakers, you know. And hopefully their next project will be amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. What about it's your- funny, like how many times I've gotten screenplays from people, and they're like, "Hey, man, I, I just wrote this screenplay. Can you give me some feedback on it?" And if I have time, I'll be like, "Hey, sure," you know. And I'll get through the fi- first twenty pages, and then I'll kind of be like, "Okay, I kind of, I can kind of." tell where this is going yeah and i'll give them feedback and i'm always very honest about it you know and i'm like you know okay i got to page 30 and i still have no idea what your screenplay is about (laughs) there's been a lot of really interesting scenes with these characters talking back and forth but there's no story here and i would say 90 percent of the people get mad and they're like you just don't get it you don't understand and i'm like if you would just i mean you're not a bad writer but you just you know, you're where I was when I was 20, you know, mm-hmm. like I would, I would sit there and I would start writing a screenplay and I had no idea where it was going and I'd have a bunch of buddies talking and, you know, sitting around and dialogue and funny characters, but it never went anywhere. And it wasn't until later that I started learning about structure and learning about how to put a, you know, story together. And, um, I went through a phase where I was really into, uh, like save the cat and yeah, uh, yeah. the hero's journey and stuff like that. And then I kind of, I think you evolve a little bit through that and you go, okay, well that's just one structure and that's one way to write a story. But 
you know, and one of the things that I love to do is if I, um, if I'm trying to write a screenplay, I'll sit there like with my son and, and we'll, especially like Pixar movies. If mm-hmm. you can sit there and write down the beats with the, the hour and I mean the, the minute and write down what happens every major thing that happens during the story, since you can kind of put a page of a screenplay at one minute per page, you yeah. can start doing an outline for the story. So if we're watching, for example, Finding Nemo, I can sit there and, you know, I've seen it a million times, but I can, I'll write out the beats like page by page 15, this happens by page 20, this happens. And it's a really good practice for screenwriting to know kind of um, how the story is put together. And then sometimes if I have a story that's somewhat like that, I'll go back and take all those beats. Like right now I'm writing a um, kind of based on what um, Scott said in his book. I'm writing, I'm, I'm actually reworking a uh, monster movie that I had written a couple of uh, years ago. And I'm taking the beats from Jaws. Right. And I'm basically kind of taking when things happen there. And then later it all falls to pieces. I mean, because your creative mind eventually takes it in its own direction. But it's just like the, the layout of when things happen and how things move and everything. If you are... If you have a certain kind of mind, my mind is completely on the creative side. Like I have no structure or organization. You can probably tell that by how I talk. <laughs> but, you know, you know, if you um, figure out a way to do the structure like that, then once you go off the rails and kind of go into your creative side and like don't have the organization that's hitting all those beats, um, you're going to make it an original story no matter where it started. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, to answer your question, the main thing is just that, that uh, filmmakers need to, to learn how to promote themselves, to be honest with themselves, to take criticism, and to, you know, to really learn how to excite people. You know? Because if you can excite people, if you can show people a trailer of your movie and they're like, oh my God, I got to see that, then there's really nothing else you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. It's... Um what about you yourself? Like, is it this particular project you're working on? Do you have like a, a time frame, or you want to get your next film out? Well, you know, <clears throat> I've changed focus because the when I started working on Subterranea, I realized how much time it was going to take. Um, you know, and when you're, especially if you're directing, if well, if you're writing and directing, it's double. Um, but when you're directing, you really have to spend 24 hours a day in the world of your film, you know, and thinking about, you know, camera angles, how things are going to move, how things are going to flow, you know, you, you get off your set and that whole night you're thinking about it. So I don't really, I don't have time to do that right now. You know, as mm-hmm. much as I would love to do that, you know, with my son and with my personal life right now, I just, there, there's just too many distractions. And so what I want to focus on for the immediate future is just screenwriting and getting better as a screenwriter, trying to sell um, some stuff, even some cheesy stuff, you know, more like genre stuff and, and seeing, you know, how to uh, doing stuff that I can basically do here at my house without going outside and maybe doing a couple of shorts. But I'm, I'm a lot more um, comfortable writing than I am like getting all these things together. It, I would love to to get a production company or something to take an interest in a project that I'm working at. You know, one of the cool things about living here in Mexico is 
the access to um, things like cenotes and old haciendas and stuff like that. Yeah, so maybe yeah. at some point, I, I always try to write things based around things that I have access to. So, you know, I've gone out a couple of times and we've shot little, um, like we shot this little apocalyptic short just for fun, you know. Um, and it's just like I, I love doing a lot of the creative stuff that uh, just kind of like exercises that muscles, getting out and like, you know, putting together um, scenes and stuff with just with my little camera and everything. Um, but the, the thing that I would really love to do in the future, and I've got a couple of people down here who are um, kind of more into the production side is we're, we're trying to create a production company down here that would allow us to um, start producing movies and, and, you know, selling them and, and creating that model of just cr producing independent films down here and um, selling them through, you know, wherever, like video on demand and, and places like uh, iTunes and possibly making a deal with a distribution company, even though that that whole model is changing. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the goal right now. It's it's slow, <laughs> but, you know, so for right now, the thing, the main thing that I, I'm enjoying doing is, you know, working on the um, Indie Film Academy, trying to grow that and trying to, um, you know, I really want to create some programs that will help people. And, and I look at it as me in a lot of ways talking to my former self, you know, me when I was 20. And I would go out and I would say, hey, let's shoot, you know, a movie one day. And I, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to produce. I didn't know any of that stuff. And really showing how a film comes together at, at different levels, you know, um, how a ultra low budget film comes together or how like a medium budget film comes together and how people can kind of work in those different worlds, you know. And then I did an interview the other day with a guy who writes at, you know, studio level and, and sells stuff to um, – you know, has worked with like Ridley Scott and guys like that. Yeah. Totally different um, strategy. You know, the idea of writing um, a screenplay that's like Save the Cat or something like that <laughs> for him is completely like you would never get the agent at his level for something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if you want to sell to um, – some of these smaller independent companies that are doing genre pictures that you would want to give them like the, the ones that um, Scott Kirkpatrick is talking about. But if you want to try to be working at a, the higher, higher, you know, um, you know, DreamWorks, Universal, places like that, that are creating larger projects, it's actually the opposite. You don't want to send them like a genre movie. You want to no. send them something really original. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's interesting <clears throat> because, um, like anybody in that industry and stuff like that, you know, that you work, you work in the parameters of getting a job, basically a contractor to work in that industry. Right. But then there's always these, everybody has like the, their personal pet project. They just need to get out and some make the leap to make their own film or make their own novel or something like that. I know that Robert Rodriguez, when he did El Mariachi and then they bought it up and they brought it into the, uh, the sound mixing studio so they had to like, you know, get it ready for theatrical release and spending more money on the $7,000 film, you know, <laughs> the, uh, oh, yeah. uh, the particular fellow that he was working with that was in the post-production, uh, facility was inspired so much by what Robert had done. He's, you know, his work, he was in the industry for so long working, um, uh, you, you know, through the studio system as a technician. Like I said, if you 
do well in what you do as a as a Hollywood player, like you were mentioning, like if you're a really good PA or something, then that's what you're going to be. Maybe you get to move up eventually to like first assistant director or stuff like that. But right. the mm-hmm. the creative ones that are you're, they're making leaps and bounds usually come out of nowhere in terms of or they've created something on their own that had a unique voice and um, and allowed them to have the meetings to possibly get hired and contracted to make something for, uh, you know, a studio level system. But um, this particular guy who was inspired um, uh, by Rodriguez, I remember, he, I think he quit his job right after working um, with Rodriguez because he was so inspired. His name was George Hung, uh, probably pronounce that wrong but he went off and, and made his independent film called swimming with sharks with kevin spacey and frank oh, yeah. whaley about right. the um the hollywood studio system you know in a very black <laughs> yeah, black comedy that. way yeah <laughs> so that was the story it's a pretty brutal movie so if, um i don't know if you look up an imdb like his filmography but i think like his miscellaneous crew was mostly sound department stuff or um machete yeah yeah it looks like this um that he's he works uh, worked with Robert Rodriguez, so inspired by him because he worked on later films with him. But that, there's a story for you. Somebody's worked in the industry for so long that just like it needed a kid out of nowhere making a little film on their own to inspire you to go, ah, oh, crap, I gotta do this myself. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of that. You know, I, I remember when I was working in um, I worked in the post production part, department of a, a film in the the night when I was in Los Angeles. And so I was kind of going around after, you know, I, I thought that I was set after I got that job. And of course, when the film stopped, I was unemployed again. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Um, so I started looking for post-production jobs again. And I, I met a woman who was the assistant editor um, on this film. And she was so, I mean, she's the reason I left Los Angeles, this one conversation, um, aside from the fact that my car got stolen. Oh. <laughs> But um, she was just like, she was working on a film by a guy who was like half her age and he had hired a friend of his to be the editor of the movie. And she had worked, I mean, she was like a veteran, you know, she had been working for uh, 30 years in post-production and she was just so just like the, the disillusion of working in Hollywood and working in films and everything. And she described to me how you know, these kind of two worlds, which is like the people who are hired as, you know, like you're saying, like the PAs work up to, you know, you might be get up to even like an assistant editor or something like that. And those, but, you know, you also have the other people that are the creative side that come in and it can be like a, you know, 25 year old guy that comes in that just wrote the screenplay and like sold it to the producers. And, you know, he's got all these people that are working around him that have been there, you know, working in the film industry for years, you know, especially all the people that are on set. And uh, I, I realized that I would never be a director or a writer or the person that I wanted to be by just working in, you know, the post-production department of a film. You might learn a little bit, but working your way up there, you know, you're never going to work your way up to being the director or work your way up to being the screenwriter, you know? So cool. Um, I will follow up with you later. I thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I got to get off the seat and get some lunch. (laughs) All right, man. All right, have a one. Thanks you so much, Jason. Okay. Sure, no problem. And that concludes my interview with Jason Buff over at IndieFilmAcademy.com. And there was actually more to that interview. I actually had to edit it down and cut it down to an hour. We talked to probably about two hours about 
anything and everything. We went on a tangent about the old VHS days and you know what kind of gear we grew up on and the different editing tools and how it's evolved and so on. Anyhow, I really enjoyed the conversation with Jason and I encourage everyone to check out his work over at IndieFilmAcademy.com. Now, if you like this podcast, please leave a ratings review on iTunes and you can just go to FilmTrooper.com forward slash iTunes and leave a ratings review and I will um, read your comment on the air, you know, especially if those who are five-star reviews. <laughs> but anyway, before I go, for any of you who are stuck trying to make your film, I encourage you to get inspired by what can be made for so little by heading over to freegearguide.com. This is a free equipment list of everything I use to make a feature film for $500 with no crew. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. And I hope to see you over the Film Trooper community. That's it for now. I'm Scott McMahon, a fellow Film Trooper. I'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>